Hi, I'm Steve Douglas. Will 5G change the world? Well, I fundamentally believe it will. And the biggest benefit it may unlock is, in, is enabling green and environmental outcomes across some of the world's largest emitting industries. I'm Sean Kinney, and welcome to Will 5G Change the World, the podcast where we engage with a wide variety of industry experts to answer this important question. So Steve, before we explore your answer, maybe you can tell our listeners a bit about Spirant and uh, what your role with the company is. Absolutely, Sean. So Spirant Communications is one of the industry leaders in the test and service assurance uh, space for the communication industry. And there's two real big areas of our business. We focus on uh, testing the complete end-to-end ecosystem uh, for the communication industry through from the chipset vendors to the service providers out to the ecosystems that uh, use the communications technologies today. And we're in the operational or live networks where we use our technology to help our customers guarantee the quality of service and quality of experience of those networks and of those over-the-top services. Excellent, Steve. And now, um, you know, I, I, I like to use this podcast to get to know the guests a little bit better. And the format that we've come up with to do that is by posing three questions that we take from the uh, Proust questionnaire. So I've got those three questions here, Steve. Are you ready? I am a date. Question one, what is your current state of mind? Well, Sean, in these current times with the coronavirus, I have to admit it's a mixture of concern and focus. Uh, the concern is obviously for the loved ones in the wider world. In fact, my wife is a nurse um, who's working frontline, so she's daily on my mind. Um, and that's going between a mixture of pride for the rules she does when she's out there, uh, but also a huge amount of concern for her health, uh, being in that frontline position. And I think at the moment that's maybe turning my attention more into focus uh, as a way to try to distance myself uh, and focus on the things I know I can influence and make a difference with. Uh, and obviously, uh, as head of 5G with Sparent, we're putting a lot of focus towards helping uh, the ecosystem uh, roll out 5G as soon as possible and start to really take the benefits from that. Second question, Steve, which living person do you most admire? I think that's a great question. I have to admit in my mind, I was going through all of these uh, sort of great leaders that are out there in the world today. But I think this, again, just because of what's happening around us at the moment, I think my wife comes straight to mind again. As I said, especially with the coronavirus and how she's willing to put herself in harm's way for a greater good. And I think this goes for all the nursing and medical staff. Uh, you know, I know at times she's massively scared and frustrated working on the front line, but yet, her and her profession are some of the most professional, caring, and compassionate people I know. So I'd have to say at this stage, it's definitely my wife. And final question, when and where were you happiest? I would say a few years ago, Sean, we have, I had a bit of a midlife crisis. I'm letting on one of those crazy midlife crisis things where you you buy, in some people's cases, motorbikes or, or or do dangerous things. Well, I went the route of a camper van, and my wife and I have been going to the uh, the north coast of Spain for the last number of years in that camper van to down towards Bilbao, out to La Coruña, all, all on that uh, Atlantic coastline. 
and it's probably some of the happiest times we ever have. It's a complete getaway. Uh, there's a very small population in that area. Uh, the beaches are wild and rugged, and you're completely sort of off grid when you're there. And it's some of the happiest times we we have, and obviously we hope to keep doing that. Well, Steve, I really appreciate you candidly answering those questions, and we're certainly thinking about your wife as she's out there on the front lines of coronavirus. So, uh, you know, I I, uh, I don't know. I think uh, this has really put into sharp relief the role that medical professionals play in our, our day-to-day lives. So, again, thank you for sharing that. No problem, Sean. So now, when you answered your question, you gave us a little color around uh, sustainability and quality of experience. Those were the two uh, phrases that jumped out at me. So I want to explore that a little more, Steve. Um, In February, Spirant put out a report that I'd encourage everyone to read that's titled 5G Strategies Accelerating in Global Rush to Revenue. So revenue is the key point right there. And uh, the majority of the 5G deployments we see today are non-standalone. And uh, not to make a reductive comment, but I think most of us would agree that the real revenue opportunity comes when you transition to standalone and are able to serve up these new types of enterprise use cases. So, Steve, what is the best strategy for an operator who needs to quickly get from where they are today to standalone so that they can get those service revenues going? And then... To add on to that, you mentioned creating sustainability in these high output industries. And I think those two questions are, are, are pretty adjacent. If you could maybe draw the link between how sustainability can arise as a function of enhanced connectivity for industries. Yeah, I, I think your comment is very, is very fair. You know, what we're seeing in the market today with this first phase of 5G certainly the the non-standalone deployments are certainly a, a good starting point as, as the industry learns about the potential 5G could bring. But what unfortunately is not demonstrating is the new revenue streams coming in from, from the traditional consumer businesses. Um, where we're seeing a lot of effort and focus and, and, and you know, from our customer base is, is really that trying to move now as quickly to get the 5G core network, the new 5G core deployed as soon as possible. Um, and by doing that, the goal is to obviously to move to the standalone capabilities and start to focus on differentiated types of services. And I would say it's not just the core network, it's also marrying the core's capability of disaggregation and where it can be distributed out to the edges to embrace uh, edge computing simultaneously. So that again, they can enable new types of capabilities such as lower latency uh, on the network, which are going to be paramount for many of the uh, industry ecosystems that are potentially uh, looking to use 5G. So uh, we see that quite a bit today in in the smart manufacturing fields, the growth towards uh, connected and autonomous vehicles, uh, but also in in the media and entertainment industry around gaming uh, and stadium types of applications. And again, it's this marriage of uh, being able to offer, uh, obviously the, the enhanced speeds, but uh, the differentiation of service in terms of the quality it can deliver and the lower uh, latency uh, that it can provide. I, I would say that you know those. What's quite interesting about those industries, Sean, is that um, while most of their their fundamental business cases um, are around usually you know operational efficiency, whether it's in a factory to 
allow them to uh, diversify their supply chains and, and, and create savings, whether it's in the automotive sector where they're focusing on obviously uh, health and safety uh, as being paramount uh, for future transport systems. What we're seeing is obviously the side effect um, or the uh, implicit effect of actually enabling that capability suddenly is sustainability. You know, we're seeing that capability in, in smart factories today that the potential of 5G married with IoT technologies and automation um, is going to enable efficiencies across really high energy intensive activities such as uh, precision manufacturing. And that then has the side effect of reducing energy consumption uh, within the factory environment. So all of a sudden the side effect of the business case of efficiency becomes a reduction uh, in CO2 emissions. And we're seeing a similar thing in the transport sector as well. And in, in the early work we're doing around the connected and autonomous vehicles, you know, the, the capabilities for autonomous driving, such as advanced driving capabilities and cooperative intelligent transport systems, will definitely enabling obviously new ways for autonomous driving, also lower fuel consumption in the vehicles, uh, again reducing CO2 emissions. They also reduce accidents, which means the physical materials that the vehicles are being made of, uh, which in many cases today is very difficult to recycle and goes into landfill or landfills, uh, um, allows us actually to use uh, lesser materials and again is, is great for the environment. And, and there's a really interesting one we're seeing today also in the in the agricultural business as well. I mean, agriculture is, is you know is, is one of the top four emitters of, of emissions today. But bringing 5G into the ecosystem for the future of digital farming um, and enabling capabilities like smart irrigation and precision farming has a huge benefit in potentially reducing CO2 emissions um, in, in, in large scale and also on those micro farming um, endeavors which actually make up a lot of the farming infrastructure of uh, smaller non-developed com uh, countries. And, and again, it's, it's this, side effect benefit, uh, which could actually be huge. Because I think the reality is, Sean, is that you know, when you look at our own industry, the ICT industry, we only really do, um, you know, our impact on, on global emissions is less than 2%. And that's, you know, that's still big. And it's, you know, we as an industry need to bring those uh, levels down. And it's right to get our own house in order. But, you know, we're never really going to change the, or move the needle um, if we can't get these other industries and help them uh, bringing down their emissions and hitting their sustainability targets. And that's why fundamentally I believe, you know, that's one of, one of the real opportunities that 5G actually can bring. Steve, you touched on a number of different vertical industries and use cases that 5G is and uh, will further enable. Um, I want to pull another line from the report I mentioned, and I'm going to quote here, uh, experiences were not optimized to wow consumers, and uh, that was commentary on current 5G applications. So I'm hoping that you can explain the difference between an operator providing sheer network performance capabilities and then an operator providing an experience that leverages those performance capabilities. What's the difference? I think the difference is that just because you have speed and capacity on the network doesn't necessarily always mean 
that the application that you're consuming is being delivered um, from a perceived uh, good experience from the end user. Um, and, and that's what we were discovering in the early stages here with 5G with some of these fledgling rollouts was that, yes, there was obviously, you know, enhanced speeds, maybe three to four times greater than LTE. But in many cases, we were seeing that the applications, uh, who in many cases aren't are outside the carrier's control, um, hadn't been optimized yet to take, uh, to take that into consideration. So we weren't seeing any of the added benefits. We're also seeing the issue that the ecosystem that the carriers are dependent on as well, such as the handset and the chipset manufacturers, um, if their their devices, again in their infancy, uh, have issues with them in terms of uh, some of the new antennas and the new modules, for example, are overheating, uh, causing lots of radio failures, uh, they have a detrimental impact on the services that a, that a user consumes. In most cases, the user perceives the speed on the network um, rather than physically sees it. So it's based on you know how quick your web page downloads, um, the quality of the video, does it not stutter or delay or doesn't it blocky? Um, you know, does it drop? Do I see drops when I'm moving about? Um, can I not get access in locations? So again, it's this marriage between what the network thinks it's capable or is delivering and what an end user perceives they're getting. And, and that's a little bit of the holy grail with a lot of the uh, the market or the industry today it's is making sure you can marry together what music uh, you know as a service provider thinks your network's delivering compared to what actually your customers perceive they're getting and once you can marry them together you really can't understand what it is you actually have to deliver and, and sometimes it's really interesting stuff Sean I mean sometimes you discover that huge investments where you think you need to spend or throw capacity at things and um, don't solve the problem and sometimes they're, they're easier solutions than that but and the only way to find that out is actually understanding what the end user um, perceives they need to have for the services they're consuming. So, Steve, as an operator invests time and money in delivering that wow factor on the back of their 5G network, and they continue to develop new 5G enable revenue generating services addressed towards specific industries. How should they think about service assurance in the context of an ever-increasing level of network complexity and an ever-increasing uh, demand for data and variations in that data profile in terms of latency, reliability, security, capacity, and so forth? I, I think the, there's two answers to that, Sean. I think I think number one is probably engage service assurance early, earlier than they've ever had to do before. Uh, and number two is make service assurance become active rather than passive, uh, or pure, at least being purely passive. And what I mean by both those is that historically service assurance, um, unfortunately, is sometimes a little bit of the afterthought, uh, you know, the late, the late guest at the party. You know, we, we're all in a rush to roll out, they need to get the sales sites, get it all out there and, you know, and we hope, um, you know, that, that it all works. And until you know, real consumers start complaining, uh, or we get time to focus, uh, nobody really gets the uh, or invests in the in the service assurance infrastructure. Um, and I think that's changing now. We're seeing that we've had a number of major uh, tier one service providers worldwide now who are starting to embrace service assurance at the very earliest stages as they 
not only plan but start to roll out these early 5G sites. And I, and I think that's critical because I think it's not only is this a such a new and radical technology; it's a big step change than you know from any other G that we've ever had. The hype that's been surrounding it in, in terms of what you know consumers and people are expecting from it. If we feel as an industry to deliver that or the perception of it to these customers, it, it's going to be very, very difficult for the industry to realize new types of revenue. And I think that's also massively important for the other industries, such as you know, the Industry 4.0, the, the healthcare industry, who are all looking in at this stage to see what 5G could do for them. And if they see that the 5G networks aren't delivering, are giving a poor experience, it may delay their willingness to invest and adopt 5G. So I think it's, it's really about embracing service assurance as early as possible to help. I think the other side, as I said, it's, it's about being active or proactive rather than passive. Um, the most traditional ways the industry has moved in the last number of years has been uh, passive monitoring, where we capture data sets on the networks and we push them up into analytic systems to try to predict, which is all very important and relevant. But the reality is these are now dynamic networks where processes are potentially being moved and distributed uh, from core to edge, where software upgrades are potentially going to be more agile and, and being upgraded all the time on the network, where we're going to have different types of end users with different types of SLA simultaneously on the network, whether it's through network slices, whether in the core network, whether it's something we're doing at the transport layer, and we're going to have different radio architectures all being used simultaneously. So simply just passively monitoring and trying to identify the issue and hoping analytics can sort of predict, uh, we don't feel is the way forward. We think the best way in this softwareized world is to be proactive and actually put software into the network to pretend to be a user to synthetically inject traffic into the network to proactively look for issues or faults before they impact any consumer out there and to actively test in essence. And we think that's going to be critical as well for managing all of these new types of software that's going to be coming into the networks as well, all these changes that are going to happen more agile than ever. It's not going to be the traditional you know, monthly cycles of upgrades, it's, it's going to be potentially daily or hourly with some of the software upgrades. And the only way to do that in an agile way is to actually again having the capability to actively test it, to validate this new software isn't breaking anything, it's meeting uh, the criteria, and then we're monitoring it to make sure that the SLA is still adhered to. I think this is going to be critical. And the only other area I would touch on would also be security. It's it's one of those interesting topics that we all speak about at a lot of trade shows, and, and there's a lot of you know blur about in the um, out in social media about it. But the reality is, with security, security is radically changing in 5G. It's not just about let's say this traditional security uh, capabilities that the networks need to think about. The evolution to this whole software world, the move away to having potentially multiple different new types of vendors, the disaggregation and moving it out to the edges, and it creates obviously a new security paradigm that needs to be looked at. And again, a form of active assurance is going to be critical for that. So not only just historically in a lab environment running security tests to see, you know, is my network and does the perimeter security process as far as gateways work? 
we now need to be more proactive and actually potentially always test the networks continuously to try to understand where the vulnerabilities may be, to try to mitigate the risks before we actually do get hurt. And again, I think this is where the opportunity is for service assurance to play a pivotal role, is to actually have a capability to actively test are the security policies, the security gateways, are they still fit for purpose? Uh, can I test them to validate that in an operational network to see if I can sneak something through? Um, and then utilizing analytics and, and AI capabilities to try to understand where best to mitigate risk. What should I do to adapt to change that to make sure that we're as proactively ahead of the security risk uh, than we can be? And I think I think that's where the future of service assurance is, is, is moving towards, to be more and more proactive. Steve, I think you nicely encapsulated the complexity and, and dynamacy of what's uh, happening right now uh, regarding 5G. So I, I really want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today and to share your perspective on whether 5G will change the world. Thank you, Sean. Will 5G change the world is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com. The show today was produced and edited by me, Sean Kinney. Thanks for listening.